0: Heaven is our goal. Make no mistake, every human being, every person upon this earth who has ever lived should yearn for heaven. All actions, everything we do, every word we say should be pointed to that goal. And yet I think in this yearning for heaven, there's a problem kind of embedded deep within it. Heaven is, A wonderful idea, but an idea that's very hard to kind of get your mind around. I think one of the most basic questions I've had since I was a little kid, growing up in the church, is this What is heaven like? What does heaven look like? What would it feel like to be in heaven? And we have the very cartoonish, which for some people actually is the actual way we think about heaven, of sitting on a cloud in front of God with a little harp playing. That's our image of heaven. And to be quite honest with you, I don't necessarily want that. That's not what I want out of heaven. And I think so many of us yearn for an image, something tangible to say, Lord, I not only want to go to heaven, I want to yearn for it. I want to strive for it. I want to give everything I have to go to heaven. In order to do that, Lord, you have to give me a tangible sign, something that says, that is desirable. This heaven thing, place, time with you, is worth everything. And I need to be able to cling to something to draw me there, to make it desirable. In our gospel today, this wedding feast at Cana, I think we have, in a very Admitted, very hidden way, a hint of heaven. A hint of heaven. But again, it's very hidden, and we're going to have to do some digging to find it. So, this miracle that Jesus does, it seems so simple. His first miracle that Jesus performs is in this small wedding in his hometown of Gaul in, in Cana, and he turns some barrels of water into wine. Fine. Great. we have to ask, Jesus, why did you do this? Why was this your first miracle? Why did you choose the setting of a wedding to do your first miracle? Why couldn't it have been a healing, the, an exorcism? Why couldn't it have been raising someone from the dead? Wouldn't that have been a more appropriate way to display your glory as the Savior for the first time? And then we have the odd detail of the amount of wine, so you can imagine a wedding party. You know, normally, like sometimes, is go to wedding reception. Maybe there are a hundred people there, 150 people. Jesus changes 180 gallons worth of water into wine. That is an incredible amount of wine. Why does he do this? Why, and why does the author, John, our gospel writer, specify how much wine? He changes. And then our last question, what does any of this have to do with heaven? What does any of this have to do with heaven? In order to answer these questions, we have to go back to the Old Testament to see how all of these little details start to give us a picture of what Jesus is actually doing in his first miracle. In our first reading today from the book of Isaiah, We have an interesting line right at the end of the reading where it says, your builder wants to marry you. Your builder wants to marry you. Another way we could say builder, which would be easier for us, but I'm glad that the translators said builder and not creator. It'd be much easier to say your creator wants to marry you. But no, the actual word is builder. Your builder, your creator wants to marry you. If we look at the history of world religions, Nowhere outside of the Judeo-Christian religion do we find this imagery. Your builder, your creator wants to marry you. Yes, in Islam, Hinduism, many world religions, we see that a deity is a creator, is a provider. One who watches over, one who maybe will provide something. You pray, you get, you know, insert coins into the slot, divine slot machine, something falls out, great. But nowhere outside of Judaism and Christianity do we have this imagery. Your builder, your God, the one who created you out of nothing wants to marry you. Isn't it amazing that our God not only created us, but wants to have an intimate relationship of love. And the image he uses to impart that intimacy of love that he desires to have with us is the imagery of marriage. So for each of us, it is not just said to the whole of the church, the whole of the world, yes, your builder wants to marry you. It is said to each of us, your builder, your God, wants to marry you. He wants to have an intimate relationship of love with you. And it will be like marriage, the intimacy of marriage. That's point one. God wants to have an intimate relationship of love to us, analogous to marriage. But if we go earlier in the book of Isaiah, we realize that not only does God have this image of love for us is is like a marriage, but it says that at the end of time, when all salvation has come to its completion, there will be a great feast where there will be fine choice wines and the hills will literally run with wine. Will literally run with wine. At the end of all creation, when time is over, when all things have been fulfilled, God's plan has been fulfilled, there will be, we hear it in the scriptures all the time, especially in the New Testament, the wedding feast of the Lamb. There will be a great feast where there will be fine choice wines and everything will rejoice in God who has saved us. There will be, in other words, abundance. Abundance. So if we take those two ideas and look back into our gospel, doesn't it change what Jesus does? Why does he choose a wedding feast? Because Jesus himself Being God is the actual bridegroom, taking his bride, the church and each of us, in an intimate act of love. Saying my love for you is like a bridegroom for his bride. And I want to give you abundance. And that is why we have the detail of the amount of wine. Jesus, God, our builder, does not just want a meager portion for us. He does not just want to be sufficient for us. He wants to give us abundance an amazing wealth, more than we could ever handle, more than we could ever imagine. That is what Jesus wants for us. And that is why he specifies, I change 180 gallons for this small wedding party because I care about each of my children I care about each of the ones I love intimately. So my friends, knowing that there is indeed a hint of heaven. Heaven will be not just, maybe not, I don't even know, sitting on a cloud with a, with a little harp, whatever. Fine, fine. No. Heaven will be abundance. Heaven will be more than we could ever possibly imagine. That is what heaven is. And that, for me, starts to put a picture together. Ah, yes, Lord, this is something I actually desire. This is something I'll actually work for and lay down my life for. This great reward that you want to offer me, this great love that you want to offer me. But I want to push it one step further to make it even more concrete for us. One of my favorite descriptions of heaven is given by C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, in the last chapter on heaven. And he talks about that there are moments in our life when we experience a great sense of joy. He says, perhaps in, the sun, in a sunset, perhaps in looking into the face of an infant child, perhaps hearing a piece of music that moves us from the very core of our being. And when we hear this piece of music, see that sunset, encounter this child, we say, there is something in this experience that is the joy of heaven. And when we one day reach, God willing, the, the gates of heaven, we will say, ah, yes, here is the thing I was made for, the person I was made for. In our gospel, wine not only tells us the abundance of Jesus, but wine throughout scripture is used as an image of joy. So let's take our image, our in which heaven as abundance a little further. My friends, for each of us, heaven will be the abundance of joy. And a question I want to take, I want all of us to take into breakfast this morning, into this week, to discuss with one another, is this. What is the most joyful event of your entire life? Or a moment you can point to that there was a joy in your life that was more radiant than anything you've ever experienced before. Take that moment and multiply it times infinity. And that will be heaven. For myself, I point to two particular events, the first being the adoption of my youngest brother, waiting in that airport to receive little Gabriel from Liberia, Africa. I experienced such joy in just being the older brother. And I could not imagine the joy my parents were experiencing in that moment. It was extraordinary. And the second for me would be the day of my ordination. That walking in down the aisle of the church and experiencing the joy of this moment, that I was going to be united with Jesus in a more profound way than I could ever, ever imagine. It's one of the most joyful experiences of my whole life. And yet for me to reflect on those two moments and realize heaven is going to be that time's infinity, I will lift up everything to go there. I will sacrifice anything to retain that joy, to receive the abundance of heaven. So my friends, this week, I want you to discuss amongst yourselves, family, friends, go out to breakfast, discuss what is one of the most joyful moments of your life and how can that compare to the joy of heaven? I want us to have that conversation. And then this week, I want us to pray on. Lord, increase in me a desire for the abundance of heaven. Increase in me the desire to see you face to face, to enjoy the feast of heaven, where you, my builder, yearn to be with me intimately, yearn to love me in a way that I have never experienced and yet have had glimpses of my whole life. That is our prayer this week, that we, our desire for heaven would grow and that our yearning for its abundance would be something that shapes our life from today onward.